0: All right. well thank you worship team, and thank you guys for singing along. Uh, I'm going to invite you to make your way to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, as you guys are finding your way there, uh, I I know that what I'm about to say probably is going to resonate with a lot of us, because while it's only been a week since last week when we got together, Uh, Maybe sometimes it feels like it's been years and years. We're living a lot of life in 2020, right? We're dealing with a lot of stuff. So uh, while we're dealing with a lot of stuff in 2020, we actually get to fast forward 18 to 20 years from last week's passage to this week's passage. So we really have jumped forward 20 years and and lived 20 years worth of life. So uh, in case you've forgotten what we're going to look at uh, this week and really in next week as well. Uh, is John the Baptist as an adult, his ministry, and uh, what he was sent to do, and and what he was accomplishing preparing the way for Jesus, the Messiah, to come. But in case you have forgotten what we talked about with John when he was uh, a baby, and when uh, his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, found out that they were going to have a child, even though uh, they were old and had been unable to have a child up to that point, I want to remind you guys of a couple of things that were really kind of significant about John the Baptist that set the stage for where we're going to pick up this week. So in case you've forgotten, John was given to his parents and was a miracle. And God told his parents that this baby that they were going to have, John, was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that he was going to play a special role. And even from before he was ever born, he was playing that special role, because he was described as a prophet, and we're going to look at some of the prophet role that he played this week, but even before that, even before he was born, he was playing that role of prophet, because when you remember Mary, the mother of Jesus, came to visit Elizabeth, John's mother, when Mary's words rang out, when Elizabeth and the baby, John, still living in her womb, heard Mary's words. The baby jumped with joy. He, he leapt. The, the Messiah is here. The, the one that we've been waiting for has come. Even as a preborn baby, he knew there was something special about Jesus, and he was already testifying to who Jesus would be. And then Luke, uh, in the very last verse of chapter 1, it, it tells us kind of the, the in-between that we get from when uh, John is born to where we pick up John now. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 80, it says, The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. So uh, that is where we last saw John. He's been out living in the desert and, and growing in his spirit and growing in his convictions and, and growing in the things that are going to be important to him that we see here today. That character, that, that passion was growing in him over the last 30 years or so of his life. So let's read our passage for this week. We're going to read the entire thing and then we're going to go back and dig into it a little bit. So let's look. We're going to look at Luke chapter 3 verse 1 all the way through verse 14. And hold on tight with me as we get started because there's some names in here that we're going to stumble through together at the beginning. So here we go. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip was Tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Tacronitis, and Lysanias was Tetrarch of Abilene. And the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low, the crooked will become straight, and the rough roads smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father, For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. Some tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what you've been ordered to. And some soldiers were questioning him, saying, what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Would you guys pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ministry of this prophet, John the Baptist, that was crying out in the wilderness and and preparing the way for Jesus the Messiah to come, preparing people's hearts to to hear the message of salvation that Jesus would ultimately come and and offer freely to all who would receive it. God, we pray that as we consider his words this morning, God, as we hear from you, God, I pray that, that my words would resonate just as John's words did. God, that I would speak with, with boldness and clarity in the same way that John the Baptist did. God, that, that you would work this morning in the same way that you worked thousands of years ago through your prophet, through your words. So God, we, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have for us and a heart that's ready to receive it. So God, we give this time to you and we pray all this in Jesus' beautiful name, amen. Well, as we dig into these 14 verses, as we look through this, there's, there's kind of four different sections that we're going to see uh, that, are, that are broken out that are important for us to stop in each one of them. So the first one is just setting the historical scene. Luke does a good job uh, at several different places throughout his Gospels of, of making sure that, that we realize that this is something that actually happened, that there were people that, that, that actually lived this life, that, that were actually doing these things. And so while we probably don't have many uh, ancient middle eastern scholars that are here with us today many of these names may not uh, resonate or mean much to anything uh, much of anything to us today they're here for a purpose because uh, when uh, luke puts these names in here he's telling us these things really happened basically it's it's the difference between me getting up here and telling you that uh, me telling you a story about something that happened in a land far far away a, a long time ago that kind of sounds more like a fairy tale right but if I were to stand up here and say in Virginia in 1776, George Washington did blah, blah, blah. Well, that, that kind of sets what's going on, right? We, we, we view that differently than we would view a long time ago in a land far, far away. So as Luke mentions these names of all these people that I'm not going to reread and, and butcher their names again what we see is seven historical figures that establish the date, establish the time, establish what's going on, the context for John's ministry. So as we read through all of these names, and if you're the historian that wants to put all the pieces together, what we can do is we can put these things together and say, well, if this guy's in charge here and this guy's in charge here, and we know that John the Baptist's ministry was somewhere around the year 27 to 29 A.D., they also, these, these names, this list of names, establishes a, a dark political ambiance to the time. These were not uh, good leaders. They, they, were, they were good in the sense that they uh, made people follow them, but they weren't good in the sense that they were good people. There was uh, evil, evil, evil things that were happening in the midst of the, the Roman and Palestinian government at that time. There were also religious names, Annas and Caiaphas, uh, that that also kind of give us a similar picture of a degenerate priesthood. So we've got uh, the, the government officials that aren 't great leaders and aren 't good leaders for for people to follow and we 've got this priesthood that's that 's not really a good and healthy season. Remember Israel had these times of really good leaders and they had these seasons of really bad leaders and so uh, this kind of sets the scene for us and so, as we uh, pick up all these names, what it does is it it tells us this really happened. John the Baptist really did come and, and he came preaching a message boldly in a climate that wasn't easy for him to come and preach a bold message. So that's the scene. The next thing that we see is, is John's job. What is John's job? Well, John's job was that he was coming to prepare the way for the Messiah, the one that, that people of Israel had been waiting for for years and years and years. John's the one that's coming that's saying, everybody get ready, here he comes. Let's look at verses 4, 5, and 6. They, they kind of talk about John's role and, and give us some interesting insight. So in verses 4 through 6, I want to read those again so they're fresh in our mind. It says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled, every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough roads smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. See, something that I, I thought was interesting, I wanted to include... Uh, Here is that uh, John the Baptist was a prophet, but he was actually, he was a prophet that was prophesied about, about 700 years before he came. It's kind of an interesting, fun little connection. So in the ancient world, what, what these verses are talking about, in the ancient world when a major world power was was planning a trip, they were going to be coming into a city. If Let's just talk with examples for a minute. If Caesar was going to come to Jerusalem, there's probably the, the roads and the system of travel that they had. They didn't have highways and, and roads that were established like we have. So when they were preparing to go into a city, most people would travel on broken paths, on beat up dirt roads, on there there, there were small parts where they were kind of really they were kind of crawling around the corner of a mountain because it was difficult to to prepare a big path for people to come through. And so most people would just travel the rough road. But before a, a major world power, a major leader like Caesar would travel into a town, they would make sure that they were ready. They wanted to make sure that, that the path was clear so that when Caesar came into their city, that they were ready, that it was a, a pleasant experience for him. They don't, they don't want him hanging onto the side of a mountain crawling around the corner no they they want to make sure that everything's ready and so they would prepare a road they would if there were hills in the way where he had to crawl around the corner of a mountain well we're going to get rid of that mountain so that so that he can come in smoothly so that the roads aren't rough and, and bumping his chariot all around we want a nice smooth road for him to come in and have a an enjoyable experience coming into our city well what Isaiah's comments here from Isaiah chapter 40 Luke's actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, he's, he's talking about valleys being filled and, and mountains leveled and crooked places being made straight and rough roads being made smooth. He's, he's using a metaphor to compare the way that they would prepare for a great leader coming into a city, that they would bring down mountains and, and smooth out roads. What he's saying is the ministry that John was called to do was, was going to prepare the way for Jesus in the same way that, that clearing those roads was going to prepare the way for another leader to come and travel. Not that God is concerned about making the road smooth for Jesus. Jesus probably walked on some bumpy roads. But what he's saying is that in in people's hearts, he's using that as a metaphor to say, John's going to prepare people's hearts to receive the message of Jesus that they need to hear. And what is that message? What is John's message? What is it that he's sent to do that that he is really the, the whole point? Well, John's message boils down to one thing repentance from sin. John's message, the the third thing that we're going to look at in our passage today is John's message was simply put, repent. That's that's the idea. That's the entire message that John had. Let's look at uh, the verses where we see that message uh, pop out. We're going to read verse three from our passage, and then we're going to fast forward a little bit and look at seven through nine. Let's pick up first. With verse 3, it says, He came into the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then fast-forwarding down to to verse 7, it says, So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Can I just tell you guys, I love John. Like, John the Baptist is, uh, he's, he's a hero to me, and, and one of the reasons that I love him so much is he has one good sermon. Like, that's it. John has one message. Anytime we see John in any of the Gospels, or he has one message, and, and really, honestly, if, if we want to be totally fair to Every preacher everywhere, any good preacher that's worth their weight and, and believes that this is the true word of God kind of has the same one sermon, right? John's message is repent from sin and turn to God. It's the gospel. That is John's message. Proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it says in verse 3. Let's look at a couple of different things that we see here. The first idea is repentance. I want us to make sure that that we're not just using a big word that we see in the Bible but, but doesn't make any sense to us today. So that word repentance, it simply means a change of mind, a change in direction, a change of heart. If we look at it and think about it this way, the way that we are all created, our natural tendency, I've, I've got four kids at home, I can tell you guys, if anyone has any doubt about what I'm about to say, I've seen it in every single one of my kids. We are created, we, we, are, we are naturally on our own, we're sinners. We do evil things, we, we do what we want, not what God wants. We, we don't obey God's law perfectly, we, we look out for ourselves, right? I don't have to teach my children how to be selfish, I don't have to teach my children how to lie to cover their own rear ends when they know that they're in trouble. That just kind of comes naturally for them, right? We all naturally have this uh, reality in us that, that we are, are going on a path, seeking what we want, doing what we desire, and it's sinful, What repentance means is if we imagine that we were traveling down a road and and traveling in our own way, looking out for our own desires, what repentance is, is realizing that I am going in the wrong direction. I, I get off at the next exit. I turn around and I start going the other way down the road. I don't want to be driving in the same direction as I used to be. I I'm going to forsake that destination, I'm going to forsake those goals, I'm going to forsake those desires, and I'm going to turn my back on them, so so now I'm going towards God and towards what God wants me to do, and, and, and I'm forsaking what used to be important to me. This is the kind of preparation that John calls for when he says that, that it's important for people to repent, that we have to, to turn our back on the way that we used to be living. What he's doing is he's, he's preparing the way for people to hear the message of uh, what Jesus came for. Why, why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus came to show us what it looked like to, to, to walk in God's ways, to, to be a part of God's kingdom. And so as we see John preach repentance, we see him preach the same message that Jesus talks about in Luke 24. After Jesus has, has lived and served his ministry and gone to the cross and been resurrected, we look at Luke chapter 24 and we see him talking about this same idea of repentance and how the disciples need to take the message of repentance to the world. I want to read for you guys. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read for you Luke 24. Verses 46 and 47, it says, And he, Jesus, said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. See, it's, it's important for us to see the close connection between repentance and forgiveness. Because while no amount of repentance can ever earn us forgiveness, God, God gives forgiveness freely. But repentance and forgiveness, they, they go hand in hand. So the, the way that the Bible talks about them, it, it tells us that without repentance, no soul will ever be saved. This isn't something that the gospel is not something that's, that's just an easy believe deal where we kind of agree, we, we, we sign our name on some contract and say, yeah, God, I, I, I don't want to be punished. I don't want to go to hell. So I'm going to pray some prayer and then I'm going to go do what I want to do. See, that's, that's not the message of what the Bible says is involved in salvation. See, there's, there's, there's not a, a policy of you have to check all the boxes in order to earn salvation. We don't do anything to earn our salvation because salvation is by faith alone in Jesus alone. All that is required for us to be saved and for us to be forgiven and for us to receive the freedom that Jesus offers to us is to say, Jesus... I believe in you, and I trust you, and I want you to be the king in my life. That's, that's, that's all. That's all it is. But repentance and forgiveness, they, they go hand in hand. And what it means is that if saving faith and true repentance go hand in hand, that saved souls are repentant souls. It means that if we think that we're saved but our life doesn't look different, it means that we probably should evaluate whether or not we really understand what that message of, of God setting us free means. See, salvation, it, what it means is that God has, God has set us free from the bondage that we were trapped in. We used to be people, the, the Bible tells us that we were slaves to sin, that we didn't have any other choice, that, that when we're when we're left on our own, our natural desires are always going to lead us back to sin. But it also tells us that, that that when God sent Jesus, when God paid that penalty of sin on the cross, when when God made a way for us to be made new in our salvation, it means that. That we're no longer slaves to sin, but that we're, 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 we're slaves to God now. That, that our life should be identified by, by wanting to, to chase after Him, by wanting to pursue Him, by wanting to, to live life the way that He tells us to. So, repentance and, and, and turning my back on what used to be the way that my life was going and, and turning towards God and, and wanting to do things the way that He tells us to, those things have to go hand in hand. The next thing that we see John talk about is a baptism of repentance. Uh, that, that word, I want us to make sure that we're real clear when we hear that word baptism, that we have to be careful not to assume some things that aren't biblical in that. See, it, it says that in verse 3, he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I, I want to be real clear that, that baptism is a symbol of, of repentance. It's a, it's a symbol of a changed life. It's an outward sign that, that shows what has happened inside of us. John was never saying, Baptize, Be baptized, and then God will know that you want to repent, and, and, and that's like a, a necessary prerequisite for repentance and salvation. See, what baptism does, what he's preaching, and the, as he is baptizing people, Baptism was always an outward sign of something that had already happened in their heart. John's baptism followed repentance. It, it wasn't a step in repentance. It wasn't something that was necessary for repentance. It was a sign that pointed people to what was going on already in their heart. When I, I used to, Before I came here, I think you guys know, I used to work with kids a lot. And the best way that I would explain baptism is with this ring that I wear on my finger. If I put this ring on, it doesn't make me any more married than I was before I put it on. And if I take it off, it doesn't make me unmarried, it less married than I was when I came in here wearing it this morning. This ring isn't, doesn't have magical powers to make me married or not married, but what it does is it shows externally to, to other people that I have made a commitment with my life that, that, that Carrie is going to be my wife and my only wife and this ring does mean something but it doesn't magically make me married, not married married, not married baptism is the same way it's an external sign of something that, that has happened in our hearts even we can make this argument all day I, I, we, could, we could talk about this a long time from scripture but just to, to show how simply this can and should be understood, I want to read for you guys a quote from Josephus. Josephus is not a biblical writer. He wasn't a biblical author, but he was a historian that wrote kind of around the same time that the Gospels were being written. And even this Jewish historian, Josephus, understood simply what John's message was about baptism. He said, John was a good man, He had exhorted the Jews to lead righteous lives, to practice justice towards their fellows and piety towards God, and so doing, to join in baptism. In his view, this, repentance and a changed life, was a necessary preliminary of baptism if baptism was to be acceptable to God. They must not employ it to gain pardon for whatever sins they committed, but as a consecration of the body, implying that the soul was already thoroughly cleansed by right behavior. Baptism doesn't save people But when John comes preaching a baptism of repentance, what he's saying is, "Repent, and then let your life show it. the the way that you live, the things that people see, it should look different." Next, he I want to I want to turn to the fact that he sees all these people coming out to be baptized, and refers to them as a brood of vipers that are fleeing from the wrath to come. As he's talking about this message of being saved, he he looks at all these people that are coming out here and says, "You snakes." What an awesome sermon, right? What an awesome message for a preacher to, to, to come and to call people. They're like snakes fleeing from a brush fire is what he's saying. I don't know if we've got anybody that's, that's ever been around a wildfire before. We live in Southern California. I'm sure those are pretty normal things, right? So when there's a brush fire, when there's a wildfire, one of the things that you see is that the, the wildlife is, is running and, and trying to escape from that. So what he's saying here is they're, they're this brood of vipers that are, that are fleeing from the fire. What he's saying is, you guys sense that judgment is coming. You sense that trouble is coming, and, and you're just coming out here trying to do something to escape the danger. You're not coming out here because you truly believe that, that God is who he says he is. You're not coming out here because you really want to, to, to repent and turn from the way that you used to live. You're just, you're just out here trying to cover your rear end. You're just trying to escape from the danger. And so you're gonna come out here and, and do the little religious thing. You're gonna be baptized and, and think, all right, God, see, I'm I'm cool, I you don't have to punish me. I went out to, to John and got baptized. We're good. What he's saying is be careful. Religious people that are that are just trying to do things to check the boxes but but there's no heart change, be careful. And finally, we see one of his other messages here as he's talking about this idea of repentance is, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. His advice is that, that we have to produce fruit. It's the same message. He, he goes to the heart of the problem when he talks about, see, repentance is something that, that, that it's an internal change, but it should make a difference in the way that we live, too. Jesus would later issue the same type of a warning in his famous Sermon on the Mount that we see in Matthew Chapter 5, 6, and 7. Matthew chapter 7, we see him talk about this. I want to read for you guys verses 16 through 21. If you want to turn over and follow along, or I believe it's going to be on the screens as well. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. See, true repentance, truly turning our back, truly turning the car around. If we were driving towards sin and towards our own selfish desires, if we truly turned the car around, repented of that direction, and decided to go the other direction... It means that our life is going to look different. It means that, that we can't say, No, see, I, I, I'm a Christian. I, I believe in God. But if we say that we're a good fruit tree, but we're not producing good fruit, then it doesn't mean we're a very good fruit tree, does it? That's what Jesus is saying. We can't say, I'm, I'm an apple tree, if there's grapes growing on the branches. You are what your fruit says you are, right? True repentance first produces the fruit of character. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the characteristics that that will be seen in someone who understands repentance and has truly repented, has truly turned the car around. It also produces the fruit of action that we're going to look at here in, in just a few minutes in verses 10 through 14. And finally, his warning, the, the other warning that he has for people as he's talking about repentance is, he wants to tell all these Jewish people, don't just bet at all on Grandpa Abraham's relationship with God. John said in verse 8, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. See, you guys remember, if you, if you, if you think back to the Old Testament, Abraham was the hero, Right? Abraham was the one who God had made a promise to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to change the world through your family. That was God's promise to Abraham. And so all of Abraham's family, all of the, the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that had turned into the nation of Israel, they, they, they kind of had this prideful attitude of God loves us. God made a promise to, to, to great-great-grandpa Abraham that that nothing bad's gonna happen to us, that we're gonna be saved, that that we're the favorites, because God is gonna keep his promises, right? What John's telling them here and, and what he warns them is that don't, don't, don't. Just rest on your religious merit. Don't just rest on some family connection. Uh, God certainly isn't going to break his promise to Abraham, but, but God f- can fulfill his promise to Abraham however he wants to. God doesn't need you to fulfill his promise to Abraham. God can make uh, children for Abraham from the rocks if he wants to. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need to allow unrepentant, sinful person Abraham's great great-grandchild he doesn't he doesn't have to to bend on the rules to keep his promise they're not mutually exclusive things so john struck a mighty blow with with a single statement uh, john struck a mighty blow at this common delusion that that righteous people that 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 people who believe that they are righteous because they've got some connection to somebody that had a relationship with God, that that God's going to give them a pass. People putting their faith in family connections to God. I'm good. I know I don't go to church. I I know I don't really believe anything about God or or, or do any of the stuff that God tells me to, but my granddaddy was a preacher, so I'm good. That's not how it works. God doesn't have grandchildren. He doesn't have great-grandchildren. We make the decisions for ourselves. Remember that? We talked about that last week with Jesus, that, that Jesus sought God for himself, that he wasn't just resting on the beliefs of, of mom and dad, of Mary and Joseph. He sought God for himself. In the same way, we have to seek God for ourselves. We can't rely on our ancestry. We can't rely on our heritage to commend us, to, to save us before God. So finally, we, we've seen John's message now. The last part of this passage that we're going to look at is John's application. John's application, because see, he, he talks about we have to repent, but then he also talks about really practically, what does that look like? He asks the people that are there with him, and I, I think he would ask us today, are you changed? See, I, I believe John's comments, they, they, they stirred some things up in some people, Right? They, they probably chilled some people's souls. They probably uh, put uh, some nervous feelings inside of people. They, they hear this message that God wants you to repent, to turn your back on sin, and, and to turn towards God. And if you don't, judgment is coming, is what John's message was. And so he, he kind of put a little bit of nervousness inside of people, right? People realized that they, maybe they hadn't truly repented. Maybe they hadn't truly received the work of God in their life. Maybe they they weren't living out God-worked-out fruit in their life. They weren't described by the things that, that are important to God. They saw that their thoughts, their desires, their actions, they had no root in the faith that perhaps they professed with their mouths. So being convicted of their failings, they asked John, what do we do? And that's, where we, that's what we see in verses 10 through 14. Let's read 10 through 14 one more time, and then we're going to make that point. Picking up in verse 10, John says, The crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you've been ordered to. And some soldiers were questioning him saying, what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. In effect, what John's doing here in these verses is he's he's asking people if they understand what this message is really all about. What this baptism of repentance is really all about. See, people our lives have to look different if they're going to reflect what we say has happened on the inside. If we say that, that we've repented, if we say that, that, that God is Lord, that God is King in our life, that, that we serve Him, that we're a Christian, it has to look different. And That's what John's really getting at. Repentance isn't just something that, that happens in our brain. It isn't something that we just believe and that's it. True repentance is accompanied by fruit. Really, this is, this is how the message of the gospel is preached all throughout the New Testament. We could, we could wander to several different places. I want to point to Acts 26, where we see Paul testifying before, before King Agrippa. He says in, in Acts 26.20 that people should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. He also says that, that there's no preaching of the gospel in the New Testament without preaching of repentance. John confronts this audience about the quality of their lives. See, they they can't just say that they believe it. They have to actually do something about it. James talks about this as well in James chapter 2. He addresses this need. He he says in James 2.18, someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. What James is saying is, it's not the works that save us. But if you're going to try to stand here in front of me and say, I, I believe in God, God's, God's king in my life, I, I, I turned the car around, I don't want sin anymore, I want what God wants. But your life doesn't reflect it? I don't know if that's true or not. You prove to me that you have faith without doing any of the things that the Bible tells you that people that have faith do? I don't know, it sounds funny to me. It's, it's kind of me paraphrasing. Whoop. Me paraphrasing for James. I think I might need to trim my beard or something. I must have fuzzed on it or something. I'll stand still. All right. We're good. James is saying, you prove to me that you have faith even though it doesn't make any difference in your life. I'll prove to you that I have faith in my life because of the way that it has made a difference in my life. John gives these people that he's preaching to uh, kind of a, a general principle about this, and then he gets real specific with some of them. The general principle is they should demonstrate their repentance with an attitude of generosity, that, that they should be people that remember the message that we all learned when we were like five or six years old, right? Sharing is important. But it's important for us to share. If, if you have two boxes of crayons and your friend next to you doesn't have any crayons, you should give him some of your crayons. Well, what John's saying here is the exact same thing for us. If you have two coats, if you've got a closet full of coats at home and you drive past someone that, that doesn't have a coat, give them a coat. Simple, right? If you have a whole bunch of food at your house and, and there's people out there that don't have any food, give them some of your food. I, I don't need to explain that anymore. That seems pretty simple. The specific practice, verses 12 through 14, he, he moves from the nameless crowds of people to specific people, to specific examples. He talks to the tax collectors in verse 12. He talks to the soldiers in verse 14. They want to know, what are we supposed to do? John, John, what about me? Tax collector, what, what am I supposed to do? Soldier, what am I supposed to do? Well, John answers in a way that considers their jobs and addresses specific temptations that they may have. He warns the tax collectors and the soldiers not to use their position, not to use their power for selfish gain. He tells them, don't extort people, don't bully people, don't cheat other people using the authority of the state. You've got to give me $1,000 in taxes even though you only owe $500 because I work for the state and I can tell you to give me more. That's what tax collectors were doing. He's saying, don't do that. Don't cheat people. Be honest. Be fair. Do what's right. He tells the soldiers, don't use your weapons to take from people. Rather, be content with what you have. Don't abuse your power. Just be fair. Be honest. Treat people the way that they deserve to be treated. I I want to paraphrase here. I think this is a message that John would ask us today. Because as John was preaching to these people, as he's trying to communicate this message of, we have to repent, our lives have to look different. I think it's important for us, if, if we want to have an accurate evaluation of our, our own spirituality in our hearts, the own state of, of our relationship with God, I think there's some biblical tests that we can ask, to ask ourselves today. Number one, are you generous? Are you generous with the things that, that God has given you? John talked about if you have two coats, give one away. If you have food and your brother doesn't, give him some. Are we generous people? Are we generous to the people around us? That uh, I, I feel like I say this every single week. Sooner or later it's going to sink in. Sooner or later it's going to start to resonate. You guys are going to tell me. If we understand how much the gospel has changed in our lives, if we understand how much God has given to us, shouldn't we act differently towards other people? If we understand that that God has forgiven us of so much, we should forgive other people. If we understand that God has been generous to us even though we didn't deserve it, we should be generous to other people, right? Are we generous with our possessions? Do we share our homes? Do we share our cars? Do we share our food? Do we share the the resources that God has given to us? Or do we always want to just collect and, and hang on to as much as we can? Do we push for more and keep it for ourselves? Second question, do we give regularly and sacrificially, not just to other people, but to the Lord? Are we willing as, as Christians to, because of what God has done in our lives, to, to give back? Not just financially. Financially is one way that we do that. Are we willing to give of our time? Are we willing to, to, to give of some of our convenience? To give up a Saturday morning sometime because somebody that we know has a need and we're willing to to go and to put what we wanted to do aside to serve someone else, to love someone else, to put our comfort aside, to, to put our necks out there and, and invite someone to church that maybe we know needs to hear the message of the Bible, but, but we've been so scared that we just chose not to. We chose our comfort or our convenience over what someone else needed. Are you willing to give regularly and sacrificially to the Lord? Luke, this this first part of Luke chapter 3, really it, it points to a couple of things. It points to the fact that that repentance is absolutely necessary for the gospel. As John is described and, and talked about as someone who is preparing the way for Jesus, for the Messiah, for for salvation, his name, you guys remember from a couple of weeks ago, his name literally means God is coming to save us. And as John being the one who came to prepare the way for Jesus, salvation to come, if we don't understand repentance, if we don't understand the need to turn our back on who we used to be and chase after God with our whole heart, with everything that we can. Not to say that we're perfect, not to say that we do that perfectly every time. We still you know, if I'm moving in this direction, there's gonna be times where I take a step back, where where I make a mistake and I fall back into an old habit. But that doesn't mean that I that I turn around and chase after it and, and and go full speed in the opposite direction. It means that that it's a step backwards. And then I get up and I dust myself off and I keep going. The Christian life isn't lived out perfectly by any of us. But it should be really obvious to all of us what direction we're moving. Another important note that John makes here in this passage is cultural connections to Christianity does not make us a Christian, does not make us an adopted son or daughter of God. Being born in a Christian country does not make you a child of God. Being born into a Christian home, growing up in a Christian home, does not make you a child of God. Going to a Christian church, hearing good teaching every week, does not make you a child of God. Living a moral Christian life, checking off a bunch of really good boxes, does not make you a child of God on its own. It may indicate that you are But it doesn't make you a child of God. What makes us a child of God is personally responding to the offer of forgiveness that God offers. There is no sin that is too great that that, that forgiveness can't apply to you or doesn't apply to you. But we have to accept that gift of salvation, of of forgiveness. And remember, forgiveness and repentance go hand in hand. We can't just say, hey, God, would you forgive me again so that I can go do it and uh, just do what I want to do and then I'll come back and ask for forgiveness again. Like we, we can't just end up in that loop, in that cycle of, hey, God, we're, forgive me. All right, now I'm, I'm going back. All right, now forgive me. Now I'm going back. As Martin Luther put it in his 95 Theses a couple hundred years ago, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So I want to ask you right now, a couple of questions as we wrap all of this up. Today's message from John the Baptist, really, it's, it's not an intellectual one. It's not one that we have to leave here going, I, I understand something new that I didn't understand before. The, the message is not brain understanding today. It speaks to our hearts. And so the heart message today, where are you at in the progression of this message? Where are you at? What is, what is God trying to communicate to you today? First, have you accepted God's message of forgiveness and repented from your sinful life. We all start the story the same. We all start the story doing sinfully what what we want to do. Looking out for ourselves. Looking out for what we want. All of us are on that same path. Some people repent from that and turn their back on it and and move towards God. Have you accepted that offer of forgiveness and, and turned your back on the sinful life that you were living and started to pursue God? If not, accept salvation today. Accept God's offer that he has for you right now. The second question, maybe you have accepted that offer of salvation. If you have, well, then what John was talking about at the end of this passage really matters. Is your life characterized by the generosity, honesty, contentment, and gentleness that John talks about here in these verses? If our life, if we say that we've repented does our life look different? Does your life look different? I don't know where you're at. I'll leave that between you and the Lord. But I promise you, whether it's you need to repent today, whether it's you need to evaluate whether your life is 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 truly walking in repentance and walking in the generosity and, and the characteristics that John talks about, or maybe it's just an encouragement for you today. Yeah. Honestly, I think I am. I think I'm doing those things. The the gospel is not something that we get over. Let that stir excitement in your heart today. Let that stir thankfulness in your heart today. I was a sinner that did not deserve to be forgiven, but God chose to forgive me anyways. Maybe that's where you're at. That's where you're at? Great. Leave here this morning celebrating that. John's message, as simple as can be, but so profound for each and every one of us. Would you guys pray with me, God? We thank you for your word. We thank you that, God, that you sent John to prepare the way for Jesus, and God that John is preparing the way for us today as well. God, I pray that that wherever people may be at this morning, God, I pray that your message of the gospel would would speak to them. God would would stir in their hearts, whether it be a stirring of conviction, whether it be a stirring of, of joy and thankfulness for what you have done in their life. God, I pray that you would work in each and every one of us. God, help us to not just be people who sat here for a few minutes and, and listened to some cool Bible verses and went home and nothing changed. God, help us to be people who are changed when we hear your word. God, we we need you. We need you desperately. God, work in us. Change us. Use us to be the people that you want us to be. We love you. Amen.